This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the Tridot Podcast. There is an old-time motto of the United States Postal Service that says, Neither snow nor rain, nor heat nor gloom or night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. I think it's fair to say that triathletes could adopt this and apply it to our training because no matter the weather, the time of day, etc., we got to train. We just can't help ourselves. Now, back on Tridot Podcast, episode 34, we talked about training in the heat. And today, I am circling back with two of our coaches to chat about training for triathlon when it's cold outside. Our first coach joining us for this conversation is Dr. BJ Leeper. BJ graduated from the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine with a doctorate in physical therapy and rehabilitation science. He's a board-certified orthopedic specialist, a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and a USA Triathlon Level 1 coach. He specializes in comprehensive movement testing and is an avid triathlete himself with over 50 tries under his belt. BJ, perhaps most important for this conversation, you currently are our northernmost staff member living in Montana. BJ, what is the weather there right now? Well, sorry to disappoint, but it's actually been fairly mild lately uh, okay. for, for November, uh, kind of upper 30s, low 40s. So it did snow this okay. past Sunday. <laughs> uh, snow this past Sunday, we're expecting some snow this Friday, and, and now it's looking like we'll be down in the low 20s, so more typical for this time of year up here. But yeah, we get a lot of snow, usually about five to six feet of snow each year, and usually temps during the winter are in the teens to to the 30s so not horrible but it's it's montana also with us today is tradout's very own matt bach matt is an accomplished athlete with an ironman maryland victory and 72nd overall finish in kona on his resume he worked on wall street as a trader and portfolio manager for nine years earned his mba from temple university worked in marketing at UCAN for two and a half years before coming on board to lead tradout's marketing efforts matt outside your door right now as we're recording, what is the temp outside for you? Well, it's a balmy 42 degrees here in the Garden State, New Jersey. Yeah, that's right, the Garden State. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard New Jersey called the armpit of America by people before, and uh, that is disgraceful ignorance. The I-94, I-95 corridor, parts of the Garden State Parkway, yeah, they are indeed disgusting, but the vast majority of the state is beautiful and varied, and if you could disagree with me, you can come at me in the I Am Trout Facebook group. Well, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. I'm also very excited to see if anybody comes at Matt Bach uh, to argue about New Jersey being the arm, armpit of America. Uh, as always, in the meantime, as we wait for that to uh, come to the social media, we'll roll through our warm-up question, we'll settle in for our main set topic, and then wind things down with our cool down. Everything today is geared towards training in the cold. It's going to be lots of good stuff. Quick reminder, TriDot is currently running the 2021 edition of our annual research project that we call the Preseason Project. We are looking for non-TriDot athletes who want to jump into the research project this year. Qualifying athletes get two free months of TriDot training, 
It's literally two months of the best training available in exchange for TriDot getting to analyze the training data that comes in from those sessions. I started training with TriDot during the 2018 preseason project and immediately took a liking to the structured training schedule and saw huge improvements in my swim, bike, and run. My 70.3 PR before training with TriDot was five hours and 57 minutes. And after training with TriDot, that PR is now a 502. For those of you doing the math at home, that is a 55-minute improvement for me since continuing with TriDot after coming on board for the preseason project. If you already train with TriDot, now is the best time to invite your Tri friends to participate in the preseason project. And if you are a podcast listener and have never given our training a try, head to TriDot.com PSP, join the preseason research project, and enjoy two free months of TriDot training. Once again, that's TriDot.com PSP. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. I saw a recent post in the I Am Trot Out Facebook group where an athlete reported having their swim workout cut short because someone had mistakenly pottied in the pool and the facility had to get all the swimmers out to clean the water. This, of course, is a crappy way to have a workout come to an end, and it made me wonder, what are some other unforeseen reasons our athletes have had workouts cut short due to circumstances out of their control? So Matt, BJ, what was the time you had a training session get cut short for something totally out of the ordinary? BJ, we'll start with you. Well, I wasn't expecting this type of question because it plays right into, honestly, my most embarrassing triathlon or training oh, moment I've ever had. Bring it on. Um, so I'll, I'll try to try to make a long story somewhat short, but the story goes, um, I had had a pair of swim jammers in my training bag all summer, been sitting in the back of, start? of <laughs> sitting in the back of a hot car. I, I decided that night after work, late after work on a Friday night, I'm going to, I'm going to get some swimming in. So I, I head to the pool and I realized, Oh, I have these old swim jammers I just use. And so I'd throw them on. So I, I get in the pool and I, I pull them on. And as I'm getting into the pool with them, they rip straight up the crack, um, about a eight inch line. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh, the, the spandex has worn out. They're, they're done. <laughs> but at the same time, I really, I'm already there. I'm in the pool. I, there's nobody else in there at that time. Okay. And so I'm thinking, well, it's maybe it's not that bad. Maybe I can still get it in because I really didn't want to leave at that point. So I keep swimming. And as I'm doing my flip turns, I realize that the crack is the split is getting wider. <laughs> and so I stop at this side of the pool and I decide, well, if I if I pull them up, if I bunch them up, you know, pull them up my leg a little bit more, it'll it'll maybe make that gap not as noticeable. And as I pull up the sides of the legs, they split right along the side. So I've got the slit on the sides of each leg and I've got a slit right down the crack. And it's, it's literally, literally just falling off my body at that point. And every, every move and every decision you're making is just making it worse. Every move it's getting worse. So I decide, am I going to cut my pool swim short? And I decide, well, there's still nobody here that I can see. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep going. So I'm literally about swimming in the nude. And as I start to wrap up my session, there is somebody that eventually comes in. So I'm like hovering by the side of the pool, about ready to get out. 
and I reach to grab for my towel because that's the only thing I've got to cover myself sure. at that point. <laughs> and I inadvertently grabbed one of my kids' little swim towels that has Winnie the Pooh on it that's that's literally like the size of a washcloth in reference to my body. It, it ended up being a long story, but that's, that's how I, I got out of the pool. Hopefully nobody got the full view, but uh, definitely had to cut my pool swim short that day i enjoyed every second of that that was a <laughs> great story I haven't, heard, I haven't heard that story yet that's a good one i mean a couple of things i take away from that one is that you are a type a person uh triathlete that's for sure still uh, had to get it in still gonna get it in and then and then the next thing is you know you'll see soon on the trot out story we'll have a swim aid that uh bj in, just invented which is the the cracked shorts and, yeah, <laughs> and it's to keep your legs help keep your legs together. Right. Yeah, that's a good sw- swim training aid. Who knew? You, you you maybe shouldn't have gone for the flip turns in that scenario. Uh, whether you True. alone alone or not. But uh, Matt Bach, a- after after that fantastic story, uh, what, what what do you got for us? Yeah, I don't know. I I can't compete with the humor in that story. But Me it, either. <laughs> I, I do have a, a pretty wild one for this though. Um, Placid Lake Placid Memorial Day weekend, May two thousand thirteen. Went up there with a bunch of friends for an informal week training camp. It wasn't a formal training camp; just a bunch of us getting together to, you know, train our butts off for a weekend. Normally, the high is in the sixties and seventies, lows in the fifties that time of year. Turns out, though, it was below freezing for most of the weekend, peaking out at around forty degrees every once in a while. Uh, overcasts every once in a while, the precipitation. We went out on a ride to Whiteface, uh, the mountain there. We we're going to climb it because we we're like, oh yeah, great idea, right? We if it's cold, you climb, and you're not going to go of as course. fast, and you're going you're to get your body temp up because you're going to be climbing. So we'll be fine. So I was thinking to myself, okay, I, I don't need to dress up like crazy because we're going to be climbing. So I un- ended up underdressing. Uh, the person at the bottom of the, the gate area there, at the bottom of Whiteface, before you start the main part of the climb said to turn around if we see the school bus coming down the hill, right? Because I guess that means the mountain is shutting down and they're basically like evacuating the mountain. So we start climbing this thing and about halfway up, not even, maybe a third of the way up, it starts billowing snow. We're like in the middle of a blizzard, underdressed, climbing. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, maybe I'm okay now. Like I'm, I'm shivering and I'm still freezing. But when we turn around, we're going to be going much faster. going to be really, really cold. So this was not looking good. And then we saw the school bus. So we turned around, we had to, and I was ready to anyway at that point. Absolutely shivering, completely frozen. Rode back to the rental house. It was. It had to be the most severe hypothermia I've ever experienced. I sat in front of the fireplace there for two hours, just trying to thaw myself out. I was shivering uncontrollably for maybe an hour after I got back to the place. So that, that definitely cut my... Uh, cut my ride short and, and the group that I was with. Hey guys, we're going to throw this out to the I Am Trot Out Facebook group. Excited to hear from you. Because uh, I, I trust there are going to be some great stories here on on reasons and ways that your training was cut short by something out of the ordinary happening uh, to you during a training session. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Our show today is brought to you by RaceX. What TriDot does to optimize your triathlon training, RaceX does to optimize your race execution. Finally, no more guessing at what your paces should be on race day. RaceX uses predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to help you nail your race. Your fitness, race course, race day weather, bike aerodynamics, and more are examined to determine how you should pace your swim, bike, and run. No more overcooking the bike and dying on the run. No more holding back and wondering if you could have gone faster. RaceX specializes in optimized race pacing plans 
It also provides race split predictions and helps you run what if analysis so you can see the impact of losing five pounds or buying better wheels or many other possibilities. There is both a free and premium version of RaceX. So head to myracex.com, create your account, put your upcoming races on the calendar and have fun exploring all the race pacing goodness RaceX provides for you. Well, we can't always have beautiful sunny days with perfect temperatures and favorable wind. Some training sessions, it's hot outside. Sometimes it's windy. Sometimes it's just weathery. And sometimes it's just cold. So today we are tackling how to train most effectively when the temperatures plunge, but the training schedule is still heated up. So BJ, Matt, you know, the fall and winter weather an athlete will face is heavily contingent upon where they live and what the chilly times of year are like. Our listeners are spread all over the world, and just the three of us are spread across the United States. So even amongst the three of us, you know, winter looks very different. So what does your training look like when it gets into the winter time? So, so uh, Matt, we'll start with you in New Jersey. What does your winter training look like? Yeah, uh, winter training. I mean, here just weather-wise, I mean, it's you know, we'll get some snow, we'll get a few bigger storms, uh, we'll have high temps, usually twenties, thirties, you know, low temps, tens, twenties. Um, so for here, I can train outside if I would like, but I guess, uh, one might say I've become soft and I don't do a lot of my training outside, <laughs> uh, especially on the bike. But, uh, I like to, I prefer to say that I train inside because it's more effective. So when yeah. it comes to training winter training here in New Jersey, it's for me, it's running outside because I'm, I'm used to doing that. And you can very effectively do that in, in nearly all conditions. Um, unless it's, you know, a basically a blizzard, um, Biking, I do almost all inside if it's winter. Um, and then swimming here in New Jersey, it's in a pool. I mean, there, there are no pools, uh, outdoor pools that are open now. And open water swimming is silly at this time. <laughs> Too cold. <laughs> I get that. I believe that. Uh, BJ Leaper, for you, up in Montana, a little bit farther north, a little bit closer to our, our Canadian and, and Washingtonian and northernmost athletes. Uh, what does what winter training look like for you guys in Montana? Yeah, it's it's not too much different than Matt, honestly. My I'm I'm kind of the same way with the bike. Uh, I I tend to do a lot of my rides on the trainer just for convenience, but also just for consistency. And and my cut point, and I I'm probably the same. I might be getting a little soft, but my cut point tends to be about 40 degrees. If it's below 40, uh, no thanks. I, I I could ride on the bike. <laughs> I actually just picked up a gravel bike, and I've I've been doing a little bit more riding outdoors when it has been colder, but I still tend to stay inside if it's below 40. Um, I do enjoy running outside and, and we're, we're far enough Northwest here that we do get a lot of snow, but in between the snow, uh, I, I still love to run outside. So I don't, I don't give that up. I've also taken up a Nordic skiing or cross country skiing, classic skiing for, That's for those awesome. that are familiar. And so I like to supplement yeah. my running with that in the winter. It's kind of a fun little hobby I've picked up since I've moved up this way, but, but yeah, the winter months are fun. It's different, but it's, it's exciting nonetheless. BJ, I've always wanted to try kind of Nordic skiing, cross country skiing. Like when I see it on the Olympics, I, I don't know. So something like something about it just like attracts me. Like most people want to go to a ski resort and, and ski and snowboard. And, and I've told my wife multiple times, like I've always wanted to try Nordic skiing. So I'll have to fly your way one of these winters and, and have you show me the ropes of, uh, of Nordic skiing. Yeah, it's great. Actually, the funny story, one of my, one of my friends or one of my son's friends, we just found out she's, she's up in this area and she used to be an Olympic, uh, biathlete. Wow. Uh, we're, we're the athletes that, um, ski and, and shoot, and shoot. And, yeah. and, and 
just that's just a culture up, up in this area that I wasn't familiar with prior to, but it's it's pretty cool. So I'll start with this question. You know, we know with training in the heat, our body sweats, it loses salt, our core temperature rises, and sometimes we just can't hit the same paces that we can in nicer temperatures. You know, we're, we're familiar with what our body does and goes through training in, in the heat. Uh, when it comes to the cold, biologically, what is happening to our bodies and how will it affect our ability to train? Matt, Matt what do you think here? Yeah, I'm no doctor like BJ, but I, I do know that you have stiffer muscles, tendons, and ligaments. Uh, you need to warm up more, possibly indoors at first, just to get the blood flowing and to kind of limber up. It's tough to do speed work outdoors since you risk pulling muscles or getting injured in some other way. Uh, plus, the, the muscles just aren't as warm and the neurons don't fire as quickly. So back when I was in high school, grew up in, growing up in Connecticut, I remember my coach would talk about how it was tough to train as a sprinter during the winter. You know, distance runners, it was fine. And I was a distance runner because, you know, we weren't pushing the limits of speed, right? We were just instead focusing on zones two through four, maybe, maybe five uh, without issue. But when you're a sprinter and you're, you know, maxing out like that, it's it's really, really tough to do when it's 15 degrees outside. No, that that, that totally makes sense. Um, BJ, as our as our doctor here here on the podcast, everything Matt say may, may make sense. Is he is he tracking right? Yeah, absolutely. And and kind of the yes. the nerve response is is kind of one of the interesting things. It's for the same reason we utilize cold and cryotherapy and treatment for pain is because the cold actually slows the conduction velocity of the nerve impulse. So it, it slows that that pain signal that's that's um, being sent to the brain. But you know the main thing physiologically that happens when our body senses cold is that we get this sympathetic response, which is basically like our our fight or flight response. And so when that happens, it's the same response that happens. You know, if you get anxious or stressed or different things like that, there's a, a scenario where your your body creates a vasoconstriction of the vessels in your skin, arms, and legs. So it it's thinking, okay, this is a, a dire situation. So we're going to move all the blood from the extremities and the outer surface of the skin. We're going to we're going to bring it to the torso to protect our vital organs, our heart and lungs, and and such. And because your system diverts the blood away from your extremities, like Matt said, it it can make it harder to get your arms and legs moving in that way. Um, so it's definitely harder when when you're cold, just because of the blood flow, the nerve conduction, the nerve impulse, and then. Like Matt kind of alluded to before in his story, you know, if you get cold enough, you'll start to have these nervous impulses sent to the muscles to generate extra kind of metabolic heat, which is in essence shivering. So when we get cold enough, the body starts to figure out, hey, this is a dire situation. We need to start warming up the body somehow. And then you start to shiver and then your muscles just are not functioning like they normally would. So so BJ, if we're starting to shiver in, in a workout, and maybe not at first, you know, because when you first head out the door and start a workout in the cold. I mean, your, your body is cold. It hasn't warmed up yet. Uh, so, so once we've warmed up, we've started our workout. If we find ourselves mid-workout starting the shiver, is, is, is that a sign that we maybe need to, to head indoors and take care of ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, the one thing we don't always think about with with running in the cold or, or doing any workout in the cold is the fact that we, we are still sweating. The body is still um, losing heat in that way and trying to cool itself internally. And, and it's what happens, we'll get into this with clothing, but it's what happens with how we're taking care of that sweat. If the sweat is still hanging around on our bodies and we're getting that cool air, um, it's, it's going to further uh, decrease our body temperature. And, and once your body is responding in that way with shivering or, or various ways that we try to protect ourselves in that scenario, 
um, it's definitely a time to to get warm. Um, Matt, in that story that, that you told, you know, where you guys were biking up that mountain and, and you went up, you turned around when you saw the school school bus. Um, how, how long were you actually outdoors uh, for that workout before you were? Because you, you said it took you a, an hour in front of the fireplace to really stop shivering. You know, how long were you out there in the elements before that? Too long. <laughs> <laughs> way, way too long. Really, it was kind of silly. We had a group of maybe eight of us that rode out to, to Whiteface. And I think it was maybe three of the people, tur- maybe it was maybe six of us, actually. I think three, about half the group turned back before we even reached the mountain. And then okay. another person turned back at the very early part of the mountain. And then it was, I think it was just me and one other that had climbed up to about a third of the way up. And we were really the foolish ones in this case that should have just <laughs> cut our losses and gone home. But I, I really wanted a good, good weekend in a training. And so I pushed it and it, it, in the end, I mean, it was really not a good decision. It was total, total time. It was probably about maybe two hours. Yep. So, so you, you know, type a triathlete, much like BJ in the pool with his, uh, with it, with his little skanky jammers. Um, you know, it, uh, <laughs> so, so, <Yep. laughs> so, so, similar story there. We're just, I, I gotta get this workout in. I'm going to, I'm going to see it through. So that, that does not surprise me, Matt, knowing your personality that you were what, one of the, 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 the last remnant to turn back, uh, in, in the cold. So, um, another thing I know, I know that hydration is just of the utmost importance, uh, when we train in, in warm, the hot conditions and, and writing up my questions for this show, I had the thought, you know, we, we still sweat in the cold BJ, you just mentioned that, um, particularly under all the layers that we can sometimes wear. So it made me curious as to whether or not hydration strategy changes in the wintertime from the summertime or, or when it's nice outside even. Um, so I reached out to our good friend, Andy Blow from Precision Hydration Uh, And here's what Andy has to say about hydrating in colder weather. In the summer, when we're outside training hard, we can see the sweat pouring off ourselves and hydration is obviously a huge topic at the forefront of our minds. But in the winter, just because it's not obvious that we're losing fluid when we're training doesn't mean that the the issues around hydration go away completely. This is especially true if you're training outside, doing long sessions in lots of layers and in cold, dry air, which also takes moisture away from your body. And it also applies massively if we shift a high volume of training indoors, where the heat and humidity can be just as bad as they are in the summer months. So there are a few things to bear in mind when it comes to hydration for winter training. The first is a critical one. It's turn up to each of your key training sessions properly hydrated this is a year-round thing and it definitely doesn't go away in the winter that means having an appreciation for preloading if you're training particularly hard or particularly long which means taking a very strong electrolyte drink in the hour or two before the start because this hydrates you way way better than just drinking plain water alone generally speaking in the winter it's easier to listen to your body and respond to the signals of thirst when you're training because the overall sweat losses are likely to be lower with cooler temperatures. However, that gets counteracted a little bit by the fact that in cold conditions, your thirst instinct can be blunted. So you have to still consciously think about drinking, making sure if you're out on the bike, you've got drinks available, or if you're doing long run sessions that you've got a way of carrying some fluid with you to keep yourself topped up. Of course, We're not going to need necessarily as many electrolytes in the winter if we're not sweating as heavily, but still adding some sodium to your drinks for your bigger and longer sessions, particularly if you're wrapped up with a lot of layers or training indoors, still matters. So, you know, in summary, hydration is always going to be a bigger issue in the summer, but it's not an issue that completely goes away in the winter. So be aware of of what you need and do all those sensible things to keep yourself topped up. 
some great info from Andy there. Thanks so much, Andy, for for sending us that little nugget uh, from from your research and, and wisdom. And um, so, BJ, Matt, you know, as we move into talking about how to train properly in cold weather, before heading out the door for our training session in the cold, what do we need to be aware of? You know, what preparations do we need to make to be ready to rock and roll in colder weather? Yeah, I, mean, I think the main categories here, uh, really layering, making sure that you're properly dressed, uh, safety, and being weather aware. So okay. just just knowing how that's going to impact, you know, m- maybe it's your shoe selection or, you know, just in general, you know, how is the weather going to impact what you're what it is that you're doing? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, the the weather it's one thing to be cold it's another thing to be cold and wet and so if there's precipitation that's a big factor in the choices of of what you're going to make with your clothing uh, safety like matt said the surface you'll be running on it's different if it's you know just cold and dry versus cold and wet where there's snow on the ground ice on the ground various things like that it'll it'll dictate what kind of footwear you wear um, and also the route you take there's a lot of different factors, but, but yeah, the, the clothing you choose and, and the safety and, and doing your outdoor training is definitely the things you need to prepare for. Yeah. So, so layering safety, being weather aware, you know, you know, equipping ourselves with the, the right equipment, you know, th- those seem to be the most important things for us to cover today. So, so let's, let's start with layers. Let, let, let's talk about layering up correctly. Um, you know, it, it's something that, that you mentioned is, is key to enjoying a winter training session. Um, so let's learn how to equip ourselves properly for each temperature range. And let's, let's go swim, bike, run here. Uh, cause it's a little different for, for all the sports. Um, so, so on the swim, um, I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm asking out of ignorance here. There might not be anything to consider. There might be a lot to consider, uh, for swim sessions in colder weather. What, what should we consider in terms of, of layering and equipping ourselves properly? Uh, pretty much it depends on where you live, of course, but where I am outdoor swimming <laughs> in the winter is non-existent. <laughs> uh, indoor swimming is the only thing that you'll really do Outdoor pools are closed, open water swim. It might, might even be iced over. Even if it's not, no matter what you're wearing, it's, if it's 30 something, 40 something degree weather or water, it's cold. And then when you get out, if the air temperature is even colder than that, I mean, you are freezing. So yeah. I do own a neoprene cap and I'll wear that and my wetsuit when swimming in 50 something degree water. I pretty much draw the line there. I mean, even 50 something degree water, you got to pretty much twist my arm to get me in there. The pool is a much more effective place to train during the winter here in New Jersey. Yeah, same here. I actually live just right off of Flathead Lake up here in the the Flathead Valley, just west of the Continental Divide. And, and really there's, there's only two months out of the year that you're you're really swimming in the lake, which is July and August. And at, okay. at the peak, the, <laughs> at the peak, the water temperature is up to maybe 68, 69 degrees. And, and at that time of year, it feels refreshing, feels good. But just like Matt, you, you typically are not um, swimming outdoors um, outside of those months. And, and like Matt, I, I've swam in, in cold water and the neoprene cap, it's, it's just the layers you can protect your, your head there with, um, the full sleeve wetsuit. Uh, if you're swimming outside, we used to vacation in the summertime, kind of late summer up around uh, Lake Superior uh, off the North Shore on the Minnesota side. And and I would love to get in the water and swim up there. But even at the end of August, it was still just barely bearable with a full sleeve wetsuit. And I, I, I thought that was the case. I, I wanted to ask the question. I, I wanted to bring up the point just in case that maybe there was something that you guys know as as northerners that I don't know as a as a Texan. Uh, maybe our Floridians, uh, you know, on, on the Gulf Coast, or, or some folks in some some milder weather, are able to train open water outside. 
Uh, but it, it doesn't doesn't sound like there's any talking points we need to cover in terms of of how to effectively train in the cold and open water. Now it might be another um, little segment if you wanted to bring a ultra you know marathon swimmer on or something or somebody who just a Norseman uh, and talk about how you could swim in those cold temps. But especially like those old, those marathon swimmers, I mean they they do you know non wetsuit swims when it's forty something degrees in the water. It's that's a whole other yes. world. Yep, and, and it sure is another world, and that's probably why it's it's also not worth us fully covering here uh, mm-hmm. because. Because, because really, and it's what you said, Matt. It's it's going to be tough to do your training session effectively in water that cold. And so, if if you're trying to train for a triathlon race, it's just worth finding an indoor facility where you can do the session correctly. The only reason why you would want to expose yourself to water that cold, wetsuit or not, is because you were preparing for an event that was going to be that cold, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if if you don't have a race coming up where the water is going to be that cold, there's no reason for you to put yourself in water temperatures where you can't really do an effective training session, uh, as opposed to going to the pool. So is that, is that right? Am I, am I right in assessing that? Definitely. Moving on to bike training in the winter time. Um, just, just in terms of layering now, now this is where, you know, you can ride in, in zero degree, 10 degree, 20 degrees, and you can ride in 40 degrees, 50 degrees, either way it's chilly and it's cold, but, but for all those temperature ranges, you got to layer differently. Um, so Matt, talk to us, how do we, how do we layer for a cold bike ride? Yeah, it can be done. Uh, so, I mean, I used to ride outdoors a lot during the winter uh, when I was living in Jersey City and I had a bunch of friends in Hoboken. We'd be riding outdoors every Thursday morning, a lot of the time Tuesday morning and then on the weekends, even during the winter. Um, so I have a lot of experience with outdoor winter riding, even in temperatures under 10 degrees. That was back when I first got started with the sport. I didn't have a trainer, uh, but then even sh- after I did get a trainer, I still rode outdoors because I couldn't get myself to ride on the trainer for more than 20 minutes before I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> but everything changed after I got uh, structured training and a power meter. The training was no longer mind-numbing. Uh, instead, it was almost like a game to hit the numbers. So I, yeah. I also noticed that the quality of the rides I would do outdoors was pathetic compared to the quality of my indoor rides. I mean, I'd go for a 90-minute outdoor session and find that my indoor sessions were way better, even if they were only 60 minutes. Just the effectiveness of it. It's, uh, you know, all the gear that you're wearing, the potholes, the stop signs, the ice patches, the snow banks, it all neg- negatively impacts the effectiveness of the workout. So bottom mm-hmm. line for me is stay indoors if it's colder than about 40, 45 degrees. Uh, I mean, that all said, if you do, if you must, if you must go outside, maybe you don't have a trainer or maybe you just are, you know, got a couple screws maybe loose. You just, maybe you just like it. Yeah, maybe you maybe just, you like, just it. like it. Yeah, then I do have some clothing tips for you, though, some layering tips. So, um, you know, you, one thing to note right out the gate here is that you do move faster on the bike than you do when you're running. So especially if you're going downhill, um, you know, you're, you're moving a lot faster. So you need to wear more on the bike than you would on a run in the same temperatures. Okay. Um, so 40 to, 40, 40 to 55-ish degrees, you want to make sure your knees are covered. Um, usually for me, it's tights, uh, maybe knee warmers. Long sleeve kit, uh, arm warmers, warm socks, toe covers. Uh, you might even go full shoe covers. Light to medium gloves are good. Thin hat under your helmet, neck warmer of some sort, and, and some sort of sunglasses. Um, that that's what I would recommend for that temperature range. And then you know, once you start getting colder to twenty five to forty degrees, like right around that freezing temperature, thermal tights, knee warmers, th- uh, thick socks, maybe two pairs of socks if you don't have a thick enough pair of socks. Uh, full neoprene shoe covers, a balaclava, uh, a warm hat under your helmet, three layers on the chest, give or take, I'd, I'd recommend a base layer, arm warmers, and then a long sleeve kit over that. You might even want one more on top of that. Uh, neck warmer or gator, and then sunglasses uh, or you know something to cover your eyes because the, the cold air when you're 
riding. It'll make your eyes water. It'll make it hard yeah. to even see. Um, Makes plus, sense. If, especially if there's snow on the ground, then a lot of the time it reflects up into your eyes and it, it makes it hard hard to see. You could even get, I mean, if it's really sunny out, you could actually even get um, sunburned uh, from that. And then 10 to 25 degrees, basically just throw everything you've got at it. I mean, you, you want to wear, you want to take layers, out your layers, entire layers. wardrobe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so layer up, I mean, really just take what I just described and, and really just add like a layer to everything, uh, basically. And then under 10 degrees, you should reconsider your life. <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, I, I agree with you under 25 degrees. I think you should reconsider your life, but I understand that I'm, I'm, I'm a weak Southerner. Um, what I found Matt, just in my experience, um, you know, I, I think those, those are great recommendations. I found for me, if I start a cold weather ride, if I start off comfortable, I'm going to end up being too hot uh, once mm-hmm. I get moving. If, if I start chilly, uh, I'm going to end up being comfortable when I'm actually riding. If I start just cold shivering, uh, I, I didn't layer enough and I'm going to be, I'm going to remain cold shivering. And, and so that's just, just kind of a loose rule of thumb. Um, yeah, I, I always thumb. regret it. I always regret it when I head out the door for a, a chilly ride and I'm comfortable when I start. I'm happy for those first five minutes. And after that, I end up regretting uh, how, how many layers I put on. A, a very recent example um, just ha- is from a, two, a few days ago. At the time we're recording this podcast, it'll, it'll be a week or so ago by the time this podcast airs. Um, I, I met up with some local Dallas area tried out athletes and we uh, went out to Texas Motor Speedway and we, we rode for the remote nationals race that USAT triathlon put on through remote racing. And, and when we started our ride, it, it was around, uh, it was in the high forties, low fifties, uh, temperature. And, uh, that was just enough for, for some, some of the guys chose to just go in their tri kits. Uh, some of the guys put on a few layers. I, I was, I did a, a long, I did arm warmers and a long sleeve Jersey, um, and, and, and full finger gloves. And, and I was comfortable when I started and I ended up being probably a little bit too warm, uh, d- during the last, you know, 15, 20 miles of that race. And I, I, I could have could have gone with a little bit, a little bit less, but, um, that's always been my experience. Um, so, so BJ for you, um, you know, you heard everything Matt said there with his, uh, temperature ranges and recommendations. Um, you know, you heard a little bit about my experience. Um, what, what do you have to add to the conversation about layering for a bike ride? Yeah. And, and I think Matt hit a great list there. He covered a lot of them. Um, I think that, you know, you always hear the motto, there's no such thing as bad weather, bad weather, just bad clothes. And so it is one of those things that if you're prepared and if you've got the clothing to cover, um, you're, you, you could be okay in a lot of different situations. And so I, I definitely second the notion that you need to, to plan ahead, be able to peel off layers if you can, um, but also to have well-ventilated moisture wicking base layers. So those are going to be your wool um, polyester blend garments, the cotton long sleeve shirts are not great wicking. <laughs> They're no. just going to soak <laughs> and sit on your body, um, which I learned that the hard way early in my winter training career. Um, but those are, those are the big things. If you can keep the wicking of the moisture away from the body, hands and feet warm, you're on the right track. Yeah, I, I love that you brought up base layers uh, because they, they are crucial to layering properly. And, and I found very early in my cycling career, um, a, a lot of manufacturers of cycling apparel will have built into their websites um, temperature ranges for all their for all their garments. And, and so it lets you know, like, hey, if, if you're going to be cycling in this temperature to this temperature, you, you should buy this jacket or that jacket. And, and one that I'll give a shout out to when I was new to the sport, um, you know, my, my first cycling jacket and my first couple cycling base layers were from a brand called Pactimo. Um, it, it's a Colorado based, um, um, cycling, 
apparel company. Um, and, and they have just you literally can search by temperature range and click on, on, okay, I do most of my winter cycling in this temperature range and they recommend for you, okay, for that, you need this base layer with this jacket or this Jersey. Um, and I found that just, just invaluable as, as a new cyclist that just didn't really know, right. What, what, what to do. And then, then you learn over time what to do and you can get things from other, other brands. Um, but that's, that's definitely something to consider is there are multiple clothing manufacturers out there that, that kind of have guides like that to help you out as well. So, um, let's move on to the run because Matt, like you said, uh, the, the run's a little bit different. You know, we, we generate more wind when we cycle, we generate less wind when we run, uh, we generate more heat when we run. Um, so, so Matt, talk to us about layering for a cold weather run. Yeah. A lot easier than the bike since you're not moving as fast, but, um, scientifically ideal endurance running temperatures are between 45 and 55 degrees. You'll likely in that range have a long sleeve on, but you don't need much more than that. Maybe a light pair of gloves, a light hat or a neck gaiter. Um, but then when you get down to, you know, closer to freezing 30 to 45 degrees, uh, you'll want a long sleeve, a hat, gloves, a neck gaiter. You can still maybe go shorts, but many would opt for tights or running pants at this point. When you get really start getting pretty darn cold, 15 to 30 degrees, uh, two to three layers up top, probably leaning more towards three layers if it's down towards 15 degrees. And then a warm hat, warm gloves, maybe even ski gloves. I've done that many times before. A neck gaiter, tights, um, maybe some warmer, thicker pants uh, under 15 degrees. Uh, just bundle up, baby. Yeah, you might look like a stuffed animal walking out of your house, but you can still do it. Yeah, for me here, I when I run, I my arms need to be able to move. Speaking of bundling up, like the I think of the Christmas story, Ralphie or Ralphie's little brother, <laughs> where he can't can't put his arms down. That's that's kind of my thought. If I if I'm too layered up on the run, you know, again, you want to be warm, but I also want to be able to move. So I I find that if I can have good layers that are especially movable around the arms, that helps me. And then. And then a good a good moisture wicking hat is key here. It's funny because I was thinking about this the other day, and and it's it's such a big misconception that you know my mom always used to tell me like get your hat on you lose all the body heat from your body out out from your head and and it used to be this this um, is that not true BJ myth. is that false no it's have I been living a lie it's not true and it's it's funny because. I, I discovered this years ago where I, I was wanting to find that information out and did the research and it's not true. It's all about surface area exposed. So you don't necessarily lose any more heat from your head than you do any other part of your body that's exposed uh, skin surface area. But the tendency is when we're outside, we're bundled up everywhere else, but our head is exposed. So in those situations, yes, you are losing most of your heat from your head because your head is exposed. But it's it's no no different than if your head was covered and your legs were exposed. You know what I mean? It's just a matter of what skin area is exposed. So they've actually done the research on it. Used people used to throw out numbers like you use fifty lose fifty percent of your body heat through your head, and the reality is it's it's only uh, close to ten percent, which relative to the actual area of skin that's exposed, it's it's equivalent. So it's it's um, it's no different than any other portion of your body, but at the same time, because that is a tendency to have that area exposed to the cold, you want to make sure that can be covered as well. BJ, my whole world has just been absolutely <laughs> I rocked. Um, I, I need to. I feel like I need to sit down. I feel like I need to reevaluate some things in my life. Um, I, I'm wondering what else have I been taught? That's a total lie. I know. Um, if if that wasn't true, um, I. Yeah, that that one that one's gonna. I'm gonna after after this recording's over, I'm just gonna have to sit and and stir and, and marinate on that one for a little bit because 
rethink your life (laughs) (laughs) and and maybe even make a myth busting episode that could be a good one bj would have to be on there to help unclear or clear out some more of these myths apparently apparently so maybe maybe we'll get to that uh sooner than later because uh, now i'm curious what other myths are out there that that i've that i've held for a long time um i i found for me and again i love running in in the winter time um i I don't enjoy cycling in the winter time i think all three of us express that um, I really like layers that are easy to adjust on the fly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, th- things like uh, arm warmers, things like um, mm-hmm. I, I, have, I have my running jacket that, that I really love to use is by Solomon Running, and it's a very thin running jacket, but it does so much good to get your skin uh, a- out of the cold. And then once you've warmed up or you've heated up, and, and what I would do a lot is I'll run from my house down to a local track. And, and so it's a, it's a mile down to the track. And so I consider that mile to the local track, my warm up run. And then once I'm at the track doing whatever my intervals are for the day, you know, but by then I've warmed up some, so I might, I might ditch that jacket. I might ditch the arm warmers. I might ditch some of those layers I've put on because now I'm, I'm running zone four pace. I'm generating a lot of heat. And then when I'm done with the zone four and I've got a zone two it back to the house, I'll put those layers back on. And, and, and so I really like layers that are, are easy to adjust on the fly. Um, you know, sometimes a, a lot of those running jackets are, are really packable. They can pack into their own pocket and you can throw them in your shorts pocket. Um, and, and so, yeah, Matt, your, your temperature ranges that you gave Matt are, are right in line with my experience on when I throw on the tights. Um, you know, I, I've learned from me under 40 degrees, I throw on the tights. If I throw on tights and it's over 40 degrees, um, I, I'm happy at first, but then I'm going to end up overheating on the run. Right. Yeah. Definitely second to that on the flexibility of it. Arm warmers, knee warmers. I love that. Um, a jacket also that I have for cycling, uh, has these like little zippers that go down the sides, down the arms and down, um, like in the armpit area. So you can open them up when you want more ventilation and it helps to cool mm, you gotcha. off, but you can still keep the jacket on. Uh, and then of course it has a main zipper down the front. So you've got a lot of flexibility in terms of, you know, how warm you want this jacket to be. Uh, plus the arm warmers and the leg warmers for sure. Um, a couple other things to add too. I mean, this is, this is all very personal. So these recommendations, you know, some one person to the next is going to vary, you know, somewhat. So somebody yeah. might just run yeah, yeah. colder than somebody else and somebody might run hot. And so, you know, you'll always have to tweak these and, up, move them up a little, move them down a little, depending on your own personal experiences, of course. Um, but everyone's, t- you know, everyone's tolerance is a little bit different. And your tolerance also uh, going into a cold season versus coming out of a cold season is also very different. So 50 degrees so true. in, uh, well, like 50 degrees for me in, in let's say, October uh, feels a lot colder than 50 degrees in March. 50 degrees in March, it yeah. feels like, oh, man, you know, get out the flip-flops. <laughs> but, but going into the, into the fall, it's like it hits 50. You're like, oh, man, how much colder can it get? Right. It's it's funny how the body works that way, but you're acclimated. That is so true. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And, and I'm glad you said that um, because it, it uh, it's an adjustment, right? I mean, you're adjusting to that cold weather, and then on the other side, you're adjusting to to the weather getting warmer. And and I'll I'll say this too. I know it also depends on where you live because, again, growing up in in 100 humidity Florida and living in in you know drier Dallas, um, 40 degrees in in Florida felt colder than 40 degrees does in Dallas. Um, and, and so, you know, if, if I'm visiting family for, for the holidays and it's 40 degrees in Florida, um, I, I might need to bundle up a little bit more than I need to at 40 degrees in, in drier Dallas. And so, you know, that, that's, that's another area where the, these, these ranges are suggestions and you'll have to kind of experiment to see exactly what fits for you. So, um, so now that we've talked extensively about layering correctly for the task at hand, um, let's talk about navigating certain conditions. You know, the, the winter can often bring wet roads, icy roads, snow covered roads, et cetera. What do we need to know to safely and successfully navigate the outdoor conditions we could face? BJ, what do you think? Yeah, well, specifically when we're talking about the run, running outside, 
Um, obviously, the road condition is, is very critical. It's going to dictate what kind of footwear um, you put on. But the way we run can, can be impacted or the way we should run can be impacted. So, um, for example, if, if, you've got, if you've got a snowy surface, we know that it's safer to shorten your stride, increase your cadence. It, it sounds intuitive, but not everybody is aware that running over fresh snow versus packed snow, running over fresh snow is a little bit safer than packed snow. Packed snow tends to get pretty slick, pretty icy. Um, generally, it's better practice to walk over icy patches than to run over them. But if you're on surface that's varying like that because of the the snow or the, the ice pack, um, again, you have to consider your footwear. So I, I tend to throw on some yak tracks in the winter over my regular shoes. Um, it gives a little extra grip if I know I'm going to be running on those types of surfaces. I, I have a go-to pair of shoes that are, are trail shoes. Uh, Saucony Peregrines are usually what I'd subscribe to. They get deeper lugs on the bottom soles and some of them i don't have this type but they have a a a brand or a model of of their shoe that's actually all gore-tex upper so the entire shoe is is waterproof which comes in really handy like we mentioned with the bike sometimes wearing the booties you can you can find those for wearing over your shoes running as well but i think i think you have to make sure that you're considering the surface and your safety and sometimes it's just not a good idea, but but if you take those measures and prepare, I think I think you can be okay. Yeah, especially running, you can definitely prepare pretty well. I mean, with cycling, it gets a little bit dicey when there's slush and ice and wet and snow and everything on the roads. It's, it, it's pretty tricky, especially because you're moving quicker and it's hard to see what's coming up, especially if it's yeah. darker too. Um, so be on your guard is absolutely something that you should heed i mean when during the summer you know or spring let's say you know you might be out there running on nice clean roads and you're just taking in the scenery right but and that's fine you're looking around and stuff but during this during the winter you got to have a much more keen uh, be paying attention to the road ahead of you uh, i touched on this during episode 100 too uh how to run over ice and things so the tips i'll, I'll kind of uh, repeat here you know keep your center yeah. of gravity over your foot um make sure that you're not doing any sudden turns or slowing stopping or speeding up uh, if you're just allowing your momentum to carry you through an ice patch, you can actually run over ice patches. Or if it's an extended patch, maybe you should just chill and just kind of walk across that and make sure you don't <laughs> hurt yourself. But if it's a short little ice patch, which is usually how they are, uh, then you can. And it'll take a little practice to just kind of get the hang of it. But you don't try um, pushing off very hard. You don't try speeding up, slowing down. You don't want to turn. You don't want to do any of that stuff. But you just allow your body to just keep moving forward and you just keep the, that foot under your center of gravity and it'll allow you to actually just kind of coast through or over uh, the icy spot. Another thing to note is that there's less room on the road if there's snow and ice. So the, the road basically narrows, like you and the cars have less space to pass by each other. So just keep aware of that too. I mean, looking at the cars that are coming towards you, you know, make sure you're always running on the, on the left-hand side of the road, running towards traffic and you can always jump out of the way if you have to, uh, because some people obviously are just not paying attention or they're texting or something. The other thing I just thought of too that's good to consider is is the route you're taking. So whether you're biking or, or running, even consider the route. If if the conditions are really rough, especially when you're out on the run, um, consider a loop course that you have a way out that rolls by your house every every couple miles, or or something that goes by your car on a loop where if conditions get more severe, 
you have an easy way out versus an out and back where you get stranded. And then the other thing to consider is, is where is the wind going to be? If, if you have the ability to, to change your route up so that you will have the wind at your back on your way home or, or wherever you're going back to, um, where you might be most sweaty, it's, it's important to not have the wind directly on you or in your face as you're at your hottest, sweatiest, because um, that, again, is going to drop our core temperature quite a bit. So if you can run on the way back with your wind at the back, um, that's better because you'll be warmer and hotter at that point. Yeah, also with a loop course, BJ, I, I've done it before where if I've gotten out there on a run or, or a bike and I maybe overlayered or underlayered, um, you know, if you're if you plan for a loop course or if you can turn your, your course into a looped course, you can circle back by your car or by your house, by your starting point and add a layer, ditch a layer um, to kind of keep yourself comfortable as opposed to, you know, if you, if you plan a pier out and back and you get, you know, four miles from home, you know, suddenly you're, you're committed to the layers that you're wearing. So I, I know for me, I'm much more likely to, um, do zone two stuff outside. Like if the weather's dicey, if the conditions are dicey, if, if there might be some ice or some wet or some, some, some snow or some wintry mix that we get here in the Metroplex, um, you know, I, I'm much more likely to, to give it a go out there. If, if it's just a zone two session, I might just decide to abandon the, the zone four stuff that I was supposed to do and just keep that particular run zone two. you know, better safe than sorry, live to fight another day, not, not come home injured. Uh, kind of mentality. Um, the the same winter season that brings colder weather also brings days with less sunlight. Um, so often the outdoor sessions that we do uh, get in are, are done in the dark. Talk to me about having a safe and effective workout once the sun goes down. Matt, what do you think? I've done a lot of that. You know, with I think I'm like a lot of people, right? We've got full time jobs and we're working in the middle of the day when there's actually sun, and so we're getting our workouts in either before or after. And it's dark, so for sure, have a lot of experience doing that. I did get hit once uh, by a car. It was at dusk. It wasn't dark yet, but it was at dusk, and I, I was just riding along um, legally. Every like nothing I did was wrong, but the person just yeah. didn't see me, and they were taking a left-hand turn across my path, and they didn't see me, and they just t-boned me. And I went up on the hood of the car. I got flown from the hood of the car. That was disconnected from the bike. Um, the bike got cracked actually, but I was actually okay. I had some road rash and Good. some bruises, but. Uh, is a scary situation. So I, I often don't, I mean, I've got two kids now and a family and everything. So I don't, I don't go out at dark as much, especially if it's riding a bike and, uh, I'm safer now. I, I don't do it as much. Um, I, you know, rely on the trainer, not just because it's cold out and it gets pretty miserable when you're riding outdoors, but because, and because it's more effective on the, on the trainer, but because of the safety issue. So, uh, if you are going to ride out, ride outside though, uh, or, or run outside, then light yourself up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, I agree. It's it's funny. I used to train with a bunch of guys um, when we were living back in Kansas City. And when we'd get together early in the morning or late at night, typically it was early in the morning, we'd try to get our workouts in. So it was, it was dark. Um, even in the wintertime, it, it was almost this game to one up each other with, with with who could have the brightest headlamp or the brightest light. <laughs> so it's like, how many how many lumens could you provide just uh, like Matt said, light yourself up like a Christmas tree. I, you can never overdo this as far as reflective gear, headlamps, whatnot. I think to be very careful um, if you're going to make if you if you're relegated to running at those times of day where it is dark, you just got to be very careful. But that's also a, a, it's a time, especially at night, where if there is moisture, if you're in your winter months, that's when some of the water on the road will start to freeze. So you got to be very cautious there, outside of just the visibility. 
um, just understanding the surface area you might be running on could be completely changing during those moments. So um, if you if you must run at night, um, when it's darker, when it's getting colder, just be very cautious. Yep, I, I certainly um, try to light up you know, everything that I can, I've got, um, I, I like wearing brighter apparel, you know, when, when I'm shopping for those, those running layers, um, you know, the, the, the tights are mostly black, but if, if it's a, a winter top or a winter, you know, shirt or arm warmers, I, I always go for the most colorful thing I can find and, and the most reflective thing I can find, knowing that a lot of those winter sessions are done in the dark. Um, several people like, like the, the headlamps, you know, that they clip onto a hat or are already on a band that, that just go around your head. Um, you know, those are great options and there's tons of them out there. I personally have a kind of a little handheld running flashlight that's put out by Nathan. Uh, it's, it's like the Nathan torch, something or another. Um, and, and I, I really like that because it, it kind of just straps onto your hands and you don't really have to hold it. It's just there. But, but I've, I've had more close cars, more close calls with vehicles, uh, running than I have cycling, uh, ironically. And so when I'm approaching an intersection and I can tell a car or if I'm unsure, even if, if a car has seen me or not, um, having that on my hands kind of gives me the ability to flash it at them j- just to kind of make sure, Hey, see this moving light, see this person, uh, you know, running here. Uh, it's like a lightsaber. And, and so I, I really, yeah, it's almost. Your, yeah. Almost it really is. <laughs> um, but yeah, great, great points about making sure you're visible, making sure you're lit up, uh, and, and, uh, being, being able to see the road and make sure there's no ice or anything. So, um, I found in the Texas summers, that when the temperature gets into the high 90s and low 100s, you know, I, I can just no longer effectively do my training outside. I, I can try to be tough and I can try to brave it, but 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 there's really no point because that training session is just totally ruined by 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 the temperature. Um, I just can't hold the right intensity and do the right training right. So by then, it's either do the session before the sun comes up, uh, before it gets too hot, or do it indoors. Is there a winter equivalent to that? As in the temperature is just that there's a certain set of conditions or a certain point where it's too cold and you're just not going to be able to do your workout effectively outdoors. For the run, I think you can almost always do it effectively outdoors. I think the only case is when fresh snow just hit the ground. It hasn't even been cleared yet um, or everything is just iced over because maybe you had you know warm weather right after a snowstorm. It melted everything and now there's water everywhere and then it had like a flash freeze overnight and you're in the first thing in the morning running and it, there's just ice everywhere. Like those are probably the only two cases where I can see where okay. it, it might not be safe to do a run workout, but on the bike, um, I kind of mentioned it a couple of times already here, but under around 40 to 45 degrees, it's just that it's so much more effective to do it indoors. It's more enjoyable. It's safer. So I'd say once it hits around freezing or 40 degrees, like don't even bother going outdoors on the bike. That's just me. BG, I'll kind of give you a, a, a follow-up there. Cause I, I agree with Matt there perfectly. I think you probably do as well, but just biologically, is there a temperature where it's just it's just dangerous, frankly, to go out and try to do your session outside, or or, or if we're layered appropriately, can we work out in any temperature? Yeah, I mean, I think I think everything we've hit on prior kind of speaks to that. Where I think there's there's ways to get it done, and I think it's it depends on your intent of your your training, right? So some guys they just want to break the mundane of winter indoor training, and they want to get out. I mean, there's a different culture up here where I live where um, maybe triathlons not as prevalent, but there's tons of fat bikes riding in the snow. There's gravel riding. There's all kinds of cycling where guys love it when it gets cold, when it gets snowy and, and they've got the gear for it. They've got the bike for it. So it's a different type of, of workout, different type of training. And sometimes it's nice to break it up. 
Um, so I agree with Matt though. I mean, from a triathlon training perspective where you're at, uh, for cycling for me, if it's below 40, um, I tend to stay inside, but I, I tend to love running outside, especially in the winter. It takes a little bit more time and takes a few more layers, more clothes, but I don't know for me, and maybe that's just cause I grew up in the Northern Midwest, Minnesota, spent a lot of time in, in, grew up in Iowa, spent a lot of time in Minnesota, South Dakota is where my wife is from. So there's just something nostalgic about getting back from a cold weather run, getting back inside, warming up. It just feels like you've accomplished even more. I don't know. There's just something that's satisfying about that when you're running in the cold. So I, I tend to love love being outside when it's safe. And I didn't know there were any people in South Dakota, let alone Montana. I know. I found <laughs> the one. I found the one in South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> so some athletes, um, actually really enjoy indoor workouts. Um, some have mixed feelings about it and some folks just abhor the idea of doing a training session confined to the concrete prison of a pain cave or gym. What tips do you guys have for making indoor workouts more enjoyable? Matt, what do you think? Mentioned it before a power meter and having structure were the two things that just completely changed it for me. Uh, having some sort of goal, something to focus on, something to stay engaged with and a, having a number there to look at that told me that I am working the appropriate intensity was key. Uh, before that, I just had perceived effort and I had heart rate, but heart rate is a lagging indicator. It doesn't really work great. Uh, perceived effort is like, okay, you know, am I actually pedaling at eight out of 10 or is it really like, am I pushing at nine out of 10 and, and I'm not gonna be able yeah. to sustain it for the entire effort? Or maybe I'm only pushing at seven out of 10 and I'm not getting everything out of myself. But the power meter was like, all right, boom, right there in, in a number, it's telling me how hard I'm working. Um, so that, that was really key. And then, yeah, there's other things too, like Ruby, uh, or Zwift, which are just so much, it's so much more enjoyable to ride in, in a, in a world where you can see things and you're, you know, in this virtual world or this reality of, of Ruby, it's, it's very cool. Um, so I, I've used both. And then some people that I know will, will watch movies and shows, uh, but I've never really gotten into that. I, I think if you're going to be doing some sort of really long, like zone two ride, then maybe you could do that. But for me, there's always enough focus in in the workout itself and enough structure that I, I can't allow my mind to drift too much and watch something. Uh, I'm trying to nail the workout and, and achieve a high train X score and um, try, try to, the, the workouts are much more structured and focused and, and have so much more purpose than some of the training programs I've seen. And uh, so that, that case doesn't come up very often for me. What's helped me work out indoors more than I used to and helps me enjoy it is that the entertainment is key. And so I'm like you, Matt, I, I'm a big fan of Zwift. I just now started dabbling with Ruby as, as so much of our remote racing is going to be done through Ruby. And I, I really have really enjoyed that platform so far. Um, so having that in front of me, um, cycling indoors and, and even treadmilling indoors, it, it, that's my music time. That's my podcast time. Um, and that's, that's where I consume, you know, audible um, stimuli like that. Um, but I'll also say to to invest in things to make yourself more comfortable, whether it's, um, you know, fans placed in appropriate spots. Um, you know, a lot of our athletes know that I, I recently invested in one of the rocker boards that you can put under your trainer that just kind of rocks you from side to side, adds a little bit of motion. Um, that there's some expensive options out there to do that. There's some cheaper options out there that do that. There's some DIY options out there if you're handy that help you do that. Um, and, and that has helped my indoor riding significantly to feel a little bit more like what, what it's like to cycle outdoors. Um, and, and so just, you know, get, getting the proper towels to drape over your bike, um, you know, getting a fan to, to clip onto my treadmill to just have, have air moving while I'm running on the treadmill, anything you can do to, to 
increase the the comfort level. I've got some speakers now in my pain cave, so so when I'm pumping music in there, um, it's not just coming through my computer. It's it's nice, you know, full sound with my music that's playing, and and so I'll, I'll tell people that to to invest in your pain cave setup almost like you would invest in your outdoor setup, uh, because if you're going to train quite a bit indoors and you want to nail those sessions. Um, it's worth investing in uh, uh, just a little bit. So, uh, BJ, what about you? What What are some things that you've done to make those indoor sessions more enjoyable? Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you're relegated to winter training, for me, it's you know about five to six months of the year. You're you're going to be indoors for a lot of your biking, uh, cycling training, just because of the 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 weather outside. So, I think you you embrace it. You invest in your pain cave. <laughs> you know, put some TVs up, fans. Invest in some of your equipment there. Um, just like you guys, I, I, uh, I, I kind of drug my heels on, on Zwift and some of the online training platforms like that. But then way back in the day, I had done some beta testing with trainer road and I, I thought it was kind of interesting. And then, you know, I heard about Zwift and drug my heels on it, then tried it and ended up liking it. Now I've been really enjoying Ruby, just all these different virtual, uh, training platforms, uh, have, have made it a lot more interesting. Like like playing a game almost. Um, but it's funny cause my, my wife is a big runner and she always loves to run outside and we got a treadmill a few years ago and we notoriously refer to it as the dreadmill, but she just recently told me about this. And I didn't realize this. Uh, some of you guys might know this, but, um, treadmills were originally designed in the English prison system as a form of torture back in the early 1800s. Really? And, and so we've, we've always kind of jokingly called it the dreadmill in our household. But my wife just told me this fact the other day and I'm like, I did not know that. She's like, well, you know where the dreadmill comes from or why people hate treadmills because they used to be a form of torture. So as much oh, as uh, I've called it a treadmill, but I never knew where it came yeah, from. Yeah. So as much as uh, we blowing our minds today, BJ, I know all these, all these fun facts, but yeah, there, it's it is it can be uh, the treadmill, but if you embrace it and make the most of it, it, like Matt said, a lot of times your effort can be very repeatable, repeatable, very consistent with training indoors. So if you embrace it, there's a lot of gains to be made in the winter months. But one thing I'll add is to as much as you can um, train indoors with with people, um, and sometimes that can be you know, getting plugged in at a local gym. Sometimes that can be going just to a gym and having other people around. So while you're on the treadmill, there's strangers around on the treadmill. Sometimes that can be, um, you know, joining a, a virtual thing. I, I know coach Jeff Rains, um, will, will organize a lot of Ruby rides for his athletes and they, they just get on a video chat and video chat while they're all, they're all training on Ruby together. Um, one of our trotout athletes, uh, shout out to trotout ambassador, Brian Mull. Um, he organizes a Saturday, um, Zwift ride on Saturday mornings that a lot of our athletes, uh, uh, faithfully attend. Um, and, and like, even for me, um, my, my wife does beach body workouts. She's not a triathlete, but she likes to stay fit. And so we have a, a TV with uh, our Roku set up in our pain cave. And so she will stream her workouts. Um, and, and so even though she's not training triathlon, just having someone else in the pain cave at the same time, who's also suffering in a different way, you know, I'll, I'll be on, on the bike doing a, a trot workout and she'll be, you know, in, in the middle of the room, watching the TV, following along for a beach body, uh, you know, workout and just having both of us there working out. Yeah, the, the time passes a lot more quickly. It makes it a lot more enjoyable. So, so find ways to engage with community, get plugged into a community, and and make make those sessions uh, uh, collaborative instead of solo as much as you can. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. All right, to wrap up our cold weather training show, let's take a peek 
at the favorite gear and clothing items that you guys use personally uh, for your cold weather training sessions. Uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about recommendations and how to layer and, and how to equip ourselves to have great sessions outdoors. Um, but, but I, I want to hear just specifically for you, what are your top three cold weather related items that you cannot live without training in the cold? BJ Lieber, we'll go to you first. A couple of my go-tos, I kind of already alluded to to one, um, my Saucony Peregrine trail shoes. I'm, I'm probably on my fourth or fifth model of these shoes. I just love them. They give me good traction. There's a lot of trails that I run out here even during the summer months, but in the wintertime, they're great. If I couple those with a pair of Yak Tracks when it gets real slick with some ice, I still feel good going outside running. Um, so that's that's my go-to. And then uh, the, the shoe booties that I have, I can't remember the brand, but I've got some shoe booties I've had for the cycling um, forever. And they're my go-tos when it gets a little bit cooler. And actually along along the lines of the shoe booties, I've, I've got a, a boot warmer. This is kind of another little thing that, you know, uh, something to throw the gloves on, the hat on, the boots on. It's one of those boot warmers that it doesn't fry your your gear. It's a slow warming boot warmer. So it, it dries everything out without making everything all crispy, crusty. Uh, that's kind of a go-to, I guess. You it's a Montana secret right there, It's a Montana people. secret. You consider that a, a <laughs> gear option for the cold weather. And then, sure. and then uh, for cycling as well, my my cycling tights. I've got some removable cycling tights I wear. It's nice because like we're saying, if you get too hot, you can take that layer off. They kind of zip up the calf and you can take them off. They only go up to your up, up your thigh and, and they work really well. So just that added layer. And you can wear them on the run too. That's a lot. That's a nice thing about a lot of the gear we're talking about is, is they can go both ways. If they work for cycling, they can work on the run. Um, so that is a nice thing about about that. But those are kind of my go-to things that for sure when it gets cold, I I don't live without. Absolutely. And as you were talking about um, boot warmers, uh, just just the word warmer also reminded me of we never on this episode talked about um, like like the hot hands warmers. Have you guys used those before? Um, I know Elizabeth James is a massive fan of, of hot hands and she'll use them in her gloves on chilly days. Um, I, I had never used them. I'd heard her talk about them. I'd heard other truck coaches talk about them when we were at Ironman Florida, uh, this year, uh, 2021 spectating Ironman Florida, ironically in Panama city beach for Ironman Florida, it was chilly and it was windy and we had a, we had a really chilly morning. And so, um, w- one of the coaches coach Joanna Namey, who, who was with us, she went to Walmart, bought everybody some hot hands. And while we were spectating, that was my first time using them. Um, and so you, you just shake them, you, you put them in your gloves and they just generate heat for hours. And my, my hands were really comfortable in my gloves with those hot hands. And so, um, that that's a viable option for you to use. If you particularly have cold feet, cold hands, um, in winter weather training, you can use those. Um, that that's not on my list, but that, that I was just reminded about those and we haven't mentioned them yet. Um, my number one winter training item, um, th- there's the triathlon apparel brand called DeSoto sport. Uh, a lot of people are probably familiar with their, their skin cooler tops and their, their tri kits and their two piece wetsuits. I use their two piece wetsuit, but they have a winter training top that they call their poly pro thermal top. Um, and it's really cool because it, it's skin tight. And so on the bike, it's, it's not billowy, like a lot of cycling jackets. And so you can wear it underneath a Jersey. Um, so it's a great base layer or it just works on its own without a layer over top of it. Um, but, but it's skin tight. It's really comfortable for bike and run. It's got a, uh, a little slot built into the wrist, um, for your Garmin to, to fit into. 
so you can look at your Garmin without having it uh, over a ton of layers or under a ton of layers. Um, and, and the version I have, uh, I actually looked on their website and they don't have this version anymore, but the version I have actually has a hood that is skin tight as well. That can come up over your ears, uh, on those really cold days, but that, that's just my favorite base layer is that the Soto sport poly pro thermal top, Matt, what about you? My number one is a neck gator. I've mentioned it several times already in this podcast. I love a good neck gator. It doesn't even really matter what brand. I haven't found one that stands out among the others. They're just, they're, they're great. I love keeping my neck warm. I find that is a key thing for me. Uh, which actually ties into number two, which is a long sleeve shirt that I got from cross country camp back in the day when I was in high school, they have a higher neck on them. So they're almost like turtlenecks, but, but not, uh, and their shirts are also thicker. Like the material is maybe, I don't know, maybe twice as thick as a normal, uh, shirt. And the other thing, uh, that I like is, uh, my pair of Under Armour thermal tights. I've had them for probably eight years now, and they're just twice as thick as the other tights that I have. Uh, those other tights are great when it's maybe, you know, 35 degrees and then, or 30 degrees. And then I'll wear these tights when it gets really chilly down at, you know, 30, 25, 20 degrees or, or less Then I'll, I'll be wearing those. And, and I'll definitely wear them when I'm on the bike, anything to, to get me a little bit warmer when I'm on the bike. Well, that's it for today, folks. A big thanks to Dr. BJ Leeper and Matt Bach for helping us layer up for those cold weather training sessions. Quick reminder for anyone not using TriDot for their triathlon training, head to tridot.com slash PSP to participate in this year's preseason research project. You'll receive two free months of TriDot training as a qualifying participant. Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Head to tridot.com slash podcast and let us know what you're thinking. We'll have a new show coming your way soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training. <laughs>